everybody, and welcome back to the Disciplined Faith Podcast, where we journey further and farther into the Word of God to embolden your faith. I'm Jeff. I'm James. And keep listening in as we conclude our series on the Lord's Prayer. Welcome once again, and today we close out our series on the Lord's Prayer with the final phrase, For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. But before James dives into this phrase, if you haven't had a chance to listen to the previous episodes, I highly encourage you to do so. So without any further ado, James. All right, so we're going to close out the prayer today, and and really this is one of the most interesting aspects of the Lord's Prayer. If you look in your Bible, you're going to find this phrase either in brackets or there's a footnote, an asterisk, or it might not even be there. And the reason why is because most translations just don't include it. Um, And they don't include it because this wasn't originally in the text, or at least not in the versions that we have today. Um, I think that as we discuss what this line is, it's going to become clear that it's scriptural to use and that we should continue to say the words at the conclusion of the prayer. Uh, The line, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever, amen, is what is known as a doxology. And for many that attend a more traditional church, Um, like Lutheran or Presbyterian or Methodist, they might be familiar with singing the doxology, uh, which goes uh, something to the effect of uh, praise God from whom all blessings flow, praise him all creatures here below, praise him all ye heavenly hosts, praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, amen. And so we sing that, and we call it a doxology, but what exactly is a doxology? Uh, We think that a doxology is something that goes at the end of the prayer because it's got the word amen to it. Uh, but that's really a benediction. A doxology is simply an expression of a praise to God. There are a couple of famous doxologies recorded in the New Testament. Uh, the first is when Christ was born. You know, In Luke chapter 1, we read, Glory to God in the highest. Um, in fact, you might remember that from your old uh, Christmas Peanuts cartoon with Char- <laughs> Charlie Brown. You know, yeah. He's like, what's the real meaning of Christmas? Um, and then in Revelation 4, uh, the Apostle John records these words, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And so that's a doxology. And really, the Apostle Paul, he uses doxologies in all of his writings when he uses the phrase, blessed be the Lord our God, or at least some variation of that phrase. Mm -hmm. Uh, In Psalms, David writes in Psalm 29 to ascribe the Lord the glory due to him, which is really kind of both a doxology, but it's also a command for us to use them. Mm. Now, what does any of this really have to do with the Lord's Prayer? In Israelite worship, uh, they would close hymns and prayers with the doxology. Uh, we see a hint of that in 1 Chronicles 16, verse 36, when at the end of David's hymn we read, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And then all the people said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And so Christian worship is really an extension from Israelite worship. So what went on there is very easy to go on with us. And honestly, most likely, the doxology at the end of the Lord's Prayer, it comes from 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11. Uh, King David here is praying, and he uses the line, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heavens and all that is in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and 
you are exalted as head above us all. Mm-hmm. Now, that line kind of sounds familiar to, uh, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And I think this gives a strong scriptural support for using the doxology, even though it's not expressly uh, in that specific prayer. And so this brings us to this idea that there's a precedent, um, and then there's a tradition to it as well. And so you might be going, okay, so it's not in there, but what about tradition? And so speaking of that tradition, we see the use of doxology uh, the first time in a document called the Didache. Uh, the Didache is simply a Greek word that means teaching. Uh, like we homeschool our kids and we go through a lot of didactic teaching. And mm-hmm. it's the same word. It's just one's Greek and one's English. Okay. Uh, historically, the Didache is also known as the teaching of the 12 apostles. And so you might have some people say that each apostle wrote one chapter. Uh, that's not really true um, because the earliest recorded reference to it is about 100 years after Christ. Uh, so this puts it shortly after the Apostle John's death. Um, but in it, you can read teachings on baptism, communion, general moral guidance as a follower of Christ. Uh, and really, as the church grew and organized, the Didache was a foundational piece of tradition and continuity for about a thousand years. Um, since the reformers like John Calvin, Zwingli, Martin Luther in the 16th century, and even really in modern times, uh, it, the Didache is seeing kind of a resurgence of sorts. I mean, there's a little bit of controversy with it, but right. it's seeing a resurgence. Um, in that section on prayer, though, the authors of the Didache write the Lord's Prayer as the model that we're to use. And that's probably where we get the term the model prayer from for the Lord's Prayer. Okay. Um, and they say that it's to be used in personal worship, corporate worship, corporate just being with the church. But mm-hmm. um, in it, uh, they include the doxology that we know today. Um, and I think this is why we continue to use that doxology, even though many might not realize that it comes from First Chronicles as well as from the Didache. Uh, so personally, I think not saying the doxology because it wasn't included in the original words of Christ is a little over-legalistic and a little silly. Mm. Um, because both scripture and tradition are clear in the use of doxologies. I mean, how many times do you hear in Jesus' name, which comes up in the Gospel of John, uh, it's the same thing. So using the doxology points us back to God uh, as the object of prayer and worship. And then, you know, he ends that prayer with the word amen, which doesn't just mean the prayer is over. Uh, amen is a Greek word that really just means I agree or so be it or mm. let, let it be. So this phrase doesn't actually pop up in the original translation, but does this at all go against what God says not to add to his word or subtract from it? Yeah, I don't think it actually does. Uh, so you see that phrase, do not add or take away from the words I'm commanding you or the words that I'm, or the words that I'm revealing to you. You see it uh, both in Deuteronomy and then you see it again in Revelation. So at the beginning of Scripture and at the end of Scripture. And right. so what you're seeing there is don't add to the word of God that's mm-hmm. already been revealed. Uh, but you know, that idea of the doxology that we have in the Lord's Prayer, you know, that comes, I I think it comes specifically from the uh, First Chronicles 29, verse 11 mm-hmm. uh, text where David is praying. And so what you're doing is you're praying Scripture back uh, to God. And, and really, if you look through the Psalms, you can use Psalms as prayers. And so when you're praying Scripture, you're praying what God has already revealed. I think you're in pretty good hands there okay so when it comes to the historical documents or our traditions like the dk how should we view that 
compared to the scriptures themselves? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and so what I would say is that there's a difference between authoritative and instructional. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Didache is definitely instructional. Yeah. It's got good stuff. It comes from scripture. It is instructional. Uh, if you are Lutheran, you're going to use Luther's catechism. Mm-hmm. If you're Presbyterian, you're going to use the Westminster standards. Um, if you're a Baptist of type, you probably use Keech's catechism or the London Bab- the London Baptist Confession. Okay. Um, and so you have those things that are instructional, uh, but they're not inspired. Right. Uh, and so when you look at authoritative, you look at inspired, now you're talking about Scripture it, itself. Um, and so when we start mixing those two up is where I think you're going to, is where you're going to get into tr- trouble. Okay. So are there times where the traditions of the church, so like throughout the centuries, have taken focus off of Christ, even if it was unintentional? And then how can we analyze that and be able to deal with it appropriately? Yeah, I definitely think there is those times where tradition has taken over our focus of Christ and has gotten more uh, more uh, authoritative, I guess is a good word to use, mm-hmm. uh, than what Scripture has. And, and you see it in a concept um, really in the Roman Catholic Church called the Magisterium, yeah. uh, where it's this weird thing uh, in academic circles you might hear it called the theology of glory mm-hmm. um, where it is Christ Mary and the saints that are communicating and that are pulling and all those things and so what it becomes authoritative is the tradition of the church rather than what the scripture of the church is and so there's a passage that Paul talks about actually not Paul uh, there's a p- passage that Luke talks about. I mm-hmm. think it's the Bereans where they went through and they uh, searched the scriptures to make sure that what they were hearing actually lined up with what scripture has already said. Yeah. And so I think that's the key is when you hear stuff, you should consistently question, uh, is this consistent with scripture? Is this something I can find in scripture? So with us concluding our series on the Lord's Prayer, if there was one thing that our listeners should walk away with, what would it be? Yeah, I think the one thing they would say is, is this, is that when we say the Lord's Prayer from beginning to end, yeah, we're in essence taking the focus off of ourselves. You know, in a world that screams that we're the most important person in our own universe and it puts us in tensions with people and situations that we don't like, it's easy to focus on ourselves as the most important people on earth. The world tells us to minimize others for our own humor or advancement. Uh, we use sarcasm, insulting humor, passive aggressiveness to, max, to mask the fact that we're ultimately a conflict with ourselves and, and with what the world says we're supposed to be and supposed to prioritize. So, saying, I think, so I think saying the Lord's Prayer places our focus where it's supposed to be, which is on Christ. Absolutely. So thanks, James, for taking us through the Lord's Prayer over these past several months. And thank you to our listeners for joining us, joining us on your commute, your dog walks, and on your lunch breaks to help discipline your faith. James, would you mind closing this episode and the series out with a word of prayer? Sure. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are debted against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.